Ruth chapter 11, and I, uh, as we are coming to the end of our series, uh, Frame Your Focus by Faith, Frame Your Focus by Faith, uh, and we've gone through the entire chapter of uh, Hebrews 11, and uh, this is going to be a powerful word. You don't hear these kind of sermons often in church, so you need to start a, uh, a watch party, share this with someone. This is going to bless somebody today. So you need to get, get, don't be distracted. You need to hear what God has to say as we're moving into 2021. In verses uh, 39 and 40 of, of Hebrews chapter 11, we read, in all these things, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They should not be made perfect apart from us. And we're going to be looking at the entire uh, uh, section of Scripture, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. And really my key passage uh, is 30, verse 32, but we're going to uh, touch on each of these verses. So Grab a pen, jot some of the things down that God is going to uh, unearth for you through the exegesis of his holy, holy word. Now, if you're like most Americans, you grew up believing that when the good guy arrives, there's going to be a happy ending. Heroes are the good men and women that come to the rescue just at the right time. Amen. They swoop in to save the day so that everybody can live happily forever after. As Christians, we were taught and we believe the principle in Galatians chapter 6. You reap what you sow. If you live good, you will reap. The Bible says that if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you will reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you shall of the spirit reap the fruits of righteousness. We, be, we believe that, that good guys, that godly people ultimately should expect a favorable outcomes. Our faith is tested, however, when the good guy, when believers who are living right, don't save the day, even though when the good guy shows up at the right time. Our faith is challenged when people that are blatantly evil seem to go unpunished and rewarded. While at the same time, while you are living for the Lord, it seems like you always end up with the short end of the stick. You end up with the raw deal. David talked about that in Psalm 73. He said, my feet almost slipped when I saw how the ungodly were prospering and the righteous seemed to be suffering. Now, I was impacted several weeks ago as I thought about this whole idea that it doesn't always appear that the righteous are prevailing. I heard about an accident that occurred on I-95 where there was a four-car accident uh, a young man, and all, all the parties involved were under the age of 25. A young man saw the accident and that one of the 
drivers were severely injured. So he pours, pulls his car over to the side of the road, and he gets out to help the injured driver, and he gets killed trying to do good. There were two fatalities in the four-car crash, and, all of, and, the, and, the, and those who were injured and died were all under the age of 25. Now, what happens to your faith when you prayed for somebody who has been living for the Lord, but they die from the coronavirus? What happens to your faith when your job doesn't get saved and now you're in the food line? How do you respond in faith when you are receiving the eviction notice? And on the day you get it, of course, you are reminded by the church when you check your checking account or savings account that the final offering that you made to the church, that check was cashed. Well, today we're going to discover that saving faith, living faith, biblically sound faith, enduring faith, persevering faith takes a licking but keeps ticking. Faith that takes a licking is able to hold on because it knows that God is keeping the true score. The game may appear to be over. The scales may seem weighed to the side of the ungodly, the unrighteous, but the game's not over until God says it's over. He's keeping score. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through, through 40, the author concludes his teachings on how to frame your focus by faith when he shares examples of ordinary people who accomplished extraordinary, incredible things even though their faith was severely tested. Verse 32 says, these were all commended, they were all, uh, they were all commendated by God, all pleasing to God for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be perfect. And so even though they had the promises of God, they died having not experienced a specific promise that God had made. In spite of that, we're going to see that their faith, though tested, it persevered, it endured, it hung in there, it kept on ticking, even while it was taking a licking. So I want to share three thoughts with you from this passage of Scripture. You want to write these down. First of all, faith takes a licking but keeps ticking. That type of faith enables you to overcome personal weaknesses to accomplish great things for God. Let me say that again. Faith that takes a licking but keeps ticking is enables you to overcome weaknesses to accomplish great things for God. You are able to overcome your personal weaknesses and accomplish incredible things for God when you are 
living a life of faith. Secondly, we want to see uh, is the second thing will be faith that takes a licking but keeps on ticking is not always rewarded immediately with miraculous interventions by God. Faith is not always rewarded by immediate in, the, in your circumstance responses with miracles by God. And the third thing that we're going to consider is that faith that takes a licking but keeps on ticking understands that all of God's promises are true even though they're not all for you. Every promise in the Bible is not for you, but every promise in the Bible is true if God made it. So the first thing that we're going to consider in verse 32 through 33a is that faith takes a licking but keeps on ticking. That kind of faith enables you to overcome personal weaknesses and accomplish great things for God. Listen to what the scripture says. And what more shall I say? Now, now the writer is, is referencing all of, the, all of the, uh, the list of great men and women of faith that he's already spoken of beginning in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 11. He says, well, what more can I say? He says, there's far more names, but I, I can't tell it all. And, but I, I'm going to close it like this. Uh, I, I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, but let me tell you a little bit about Gideon. When God called Gideon, he was a coward. He was hiding out in a wine press. And we've talked about Gideon before, but when God finally convinced Gideon to say yes, Gideon walked by faith. And let me give you a specific example how this man named Gideon, who was weak, who was a guy that we would have never chosen to be on our team. We would have never called him a leader. But God, even before Gideon obeyed him by faith, the first way that he was referred to by the angel of the Lord, he says, mighty man of valor. So, because God saw Gideon for what he could be when walking in faith. Now watch this. God tells Gideon he has 32,000 32, uh, uh, warriors. And, and that, in comparison to the enemy, was a drop in the bucket. They were grossly outnumbered by the enemy. But God says, 32,000 is too many. And so I want you to tell 22,000 of the 32,000, if they're scared, they can go home. So Gideon's number goes from 32,000 to 10,000, and he's already greatly outnumbered. And so then God uh, says to Gideon again, I know you're outnumbered. I know there's no way that you can win with what you have, but 10,000 men is too many. I want you to send 9,700 9, of the 10,000 home, and I'm going to have victory through you by faith with 300. I want you to know that God used a weak man who, had no, who was a coward until he operated in the strength of faith in the substance of things not seen, and the evidence of things hoped for, Gideon, in faith, was able, in spite of his weakness, of the lack of courage, to defeat the enemy with 300 men. And then the Bible talks about another man named Barak. God called him as a, as a, as a judge, a military and political leader, 
uh, during the time of the judges. And the Bible says during those days there was no king, and every man did what was right in his eyes. And so when God called Barak, Barak said, I ain't me. I, 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 I see you, but I hate to be you. I, Lord, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you can talk a little louder, Lord. Maybe the language. He was kind of like Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Tarsus and go to Nineveh. Instead, he got on the boat and tried to go to Tarsus. Well, anyway, Barak ignored the call of God. And so God tapped a, spiritually tapped a, a prophetess named Deborah on the shoulder and told her she needed to approach Barak, the man, and say, look, brother, if you don't step up to God's call, people are going to be talking kind of funny about your manhood. And so she embarrassed him, shamed him into agreeing to lead God's people as the military leader and, she, and, and even though she convinced him to do it by saying she might have to expose the fact that, and others will see that he's not operating in, in, in his, in, in his man, masculinity, he said, well, okay, I'll do it if you go with me. <laughs> just, read, just read Judges chapter 4. And, and really the, the champion of this was Deborah, but in any case, uh, God, this weak man who refused to respond immediately to the call, Barak was successful when he obeyed God and operated in faith. God uses weak things to accomplish great things when faith is activated through obedience to his word. Then he says, well, what about Samson? Now, here's the interesting thing. When we talk about the, the great patriarchs of the faith, we always want to point out how good they were, how perfect they were. These dudes were jacked up. I mean, they had all kinds of blemishes. Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness. He was a womanizer. Every time you read about the first three words that came out of Sam, Samson's mouth, when you read about him in, in, in Judges uh, chapter 14, says, I saw a woman. How many words? I saw a forward. I saw a woman. Four words. First four words out of his mouth. I saw a woman. But I want you to know that this man who had a weakness for women, whenever he was filled with the Spirit of God and yielding to God by faith in obedience, Samson accomplished great things. On one occasion, in a place, a valley of Rohai, he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. And the Bible says in his last uh, 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 incredible event of, of depending on God, Samson killed more Philistines in his obedience through faith than during his entire lifetime during one event. I want you to know that God will use weak people who are walking in faith to accomplish great things. God used David. We know David killed Goliath. And uh, he, he said, uh, 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 this uncircumcised Philistine, the battle was already mine. He's already defeated. David walked by faith when he was a teenager and all the other men were afraid. But this same David committed adultery and had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed. But when God confronted him through the prophet Nathan, he humbled himself and admitted his sin and, and he repented, and God restored him, and, and God, he's actually listed in God's Hall of Fame of Faith and is called a man after God's own heart after he committed adultery because David, in his the, the, the overall testimony of David's life, is he walked by faith and not by sight. And he, it, one of the indications of his faith was that he constantly, in his repentance, was willing not only to humble himself and accept the for, and, 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 and ask God for forgiveness, but humility accepts the forgiveness of God. God uses the weak things to accomplish great things through faith. 
God also used a prophet named Sam, Samuel. Now, here's the interesting thing about Samuel. Samuel's father was married to two women at the same time. <laughs> now, Samuel could have said, oh, man, my background, my dad, everybody know he's a bigamist. And back then, they didn't call it that. But he had, his dad had two wives. And then and on top of that, his mentor, Eli, the priest, was a corrupt, ungodly priest who trained Samuel, but in spite of the training that he got from Eli, uh, Samuel, the Bible says, not a word that came from his mouth fell, from, fell to the ground. Everything that he said that God told him to say always was accomplished. And Samuel, the Bible says, in that, in that time, the word of God was rare, the revelation, people preaching the truth of God's word was rare. But Samuel, in spite of what others were doing, when he stood up and he talked and he taught, he gave the word of God. God uses weak things. He chooses weak things. And then if you study the lives of the prophets, <laughs> every one of the prophets had issues. But God chose them. Not only did God choose the prophets, he also chose a man named Jephthah. Now, Jephthah was an interesting guy. His mother was a prostitute. <laughs> and his half-brothers, they didn't want to be associated with a, with a brother who was the, the, the son of a prostitute. So they kicked him out of the house. And the community said, we don't want your kind in our city. So they kicked Jephthah out of the city. But when the Philistines and the Ammonites and start uh, attacking uh, the Israelites, guess who they went and asked to help them? It was Jephthah. Now, Jephthah could have said, look, you guys, he could have been bitter. He could have been angry. He could have been unforgiving. But he yielded to the call of God by responding in faith. If God wants me to do this, I'm going to return. And he returned. And he, too, Though weak based on his background, which we would have said and some would have said he was disqualified, Jephthah was used by the Lord. What people call trash, God considered treasure. God uses or chooses the weak things. And I've already mentioned the prophets in spite of their hangups. You just study the, the lives of the prophets, the minor and the major prophets. All of them come from different backgrounds. Nobody came from royalty. Uh, all of them came from difficult uh, backgrounds, and yet God chose them because they responded to his call by faith. Now, here's the second thing about how God will use weak things to accomplish great things when faith is in control. He will not only choose, but God uses the weak things. We already talked about, it says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. This is what the Apostle Paul was speaking of in 1 Corinthians chapter 26. He said they these, 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 these individuals that the, the writer to the Hebrews referenced, he said they accomplished great things. In spite of their weakness, their inadequacy, sometimes we're so focused on what we can't do and what we did do and what people think about us and what if we don't do it right. You ain't going to get it right. Our sufficiency is not in us. It's in him. Your adequacy is not in yourself, but it's in him. It's not by might or by power. It's by his spirit. So you just might as well accept the fact that you are weak. You are inadequate. You can't do it. But in his strength, you can be a Gideon. In his strength, you 
You can be a Jephthah. In his strength, you can be a Barak. In his strength, you can be a David. You can be a sly, a, a giant slayer in the strength of the Lord if you simply get out of the way and operate by faith. What is faith? Faith is hearing the word of God and obeying it. Paul talks about this. He said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential or in, 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 uh, 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 of noble background. Uh, uh, many of you were not noble. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chooses the lowly things of the world to despise the things and the despised things, I'm sorry, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no man can boast. God uses the weak, chooses and uses the weak things of the world. I remember when I was growing up, I was a baseball player, and every now and then I get a chance to choose my team. I would always choose the fastest runners, the best hitters, the best catchers, and, and the fastest, yeah, and, and, and and, 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 and the guys that, 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 uh, who, who could catch the best, the best catchers, best runners, best hitters, and uh, that's who I would choose because I wanted to win. I wasn't looking for those scrubs. I wasn't trying to be the nice guy. I wanted to be in the neighborhood with bragging rights that my team won because we had the best of the best. I want you to understand something. When God chose his team, he didn't choose the fastest runners. He didn't choose the tallest players. He didn't choose the strongest, the smartest, the wisest, the most influential. He chose the weak things. He chose the despised things. He chose those things that are not, and he confines or confounds those things which are because God through faith that takes a licking but keeps on ticking can accomplish great things. If you simply say yes to God, oh, I messed up. Oh, I agree with that. Oh, yes, I, I, I had a chance and the door is closed and it's cracked now. But if you believe God, God can open a cracked door. If you believe God, a window may be closed, but he'll open it. If you believe God, your, 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 your latter days will be better than your former days. God, God will use faith. In the lives of the weak, just look at the, the, the lineup that God just showed us. Nothing impressive about any of these. David was a shepherd of stinking sheep, but God took him from the outhouse and put him in the penthouse. I know that God will do it for you if you simply say, I see that giant, but I know a God who's bigger than the giant. That The bigger they are, the harder they fall. All I need to do is stand on the promises of God and act when he say, well, I'm going to run with these. Oh, yes, God will use the weak things that he has chosen to accomplish great things. Faith that takes a licking but keeps on ticking is not always rewarded immediately with miraculous interventions. And we're going to see this. this is what messes us up. 
We hear naming and claiming. I decree and I declare. Let's lay hands and what we bind and what we lose. Again, what we bind and loose and what we what we what we loose and bind, reversing that, it's only going to come to pass if God has already determined and decreed it in heaven. We must come into agreement with heaven. Heaven doesn't have to agree with us. Listen to what the scripture says. Faith takes that takes a licking, it's not always rewarded immediately with miraculous interventions. Let me show you examples where faith was rewarded with immediate interventions. It says in verse 33b, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fiery, the fiery, the, the fiery of the, the fire of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women who received back their dead, raised to life again. I want you to notice two things about how God responds to living, saving, biblical, enduring, persevering faith. Look at that. Listen at the first thing. God responds to faith immediately, sometimes with miracles. Listen to me, sometimes with miracles. I work as a hospice chaplain. And 98% of the people that I pray for don't leave the hospital alive. God responds to our faith sometimes with miracles. Listen to this. The Bible says he shut the mouths of lions. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And what should have devoured him, became his pillow for the night. <laughs> this wasn't a my pillow, but guess what? God converted a, a, a raging lions who were hungry into a place for Daniel to lay his head. He stepped in the flames of fire. Remember Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down. They said, we will, we will burn before we bow. And Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fire. And by faith, when they entered into the fire, bound and fully clothed, Nebuchadnezzar said, wait a minute. I see something strange up in there. Well, what happens is when you, when you operate in faith and God responds immediately with a miracle, a fourth man will show up. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar said, I threw three in, but there's a fourth man in the fire. And the fourth man looks like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't even saved, but he recognized the presence of the Lord, the Lord will respond immediately, sometimes with a miracle. But the good news was that Meshach and Shadrach said, we know that God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, that's what faith, faith that takes a, a, a licking but keeps ticking says, even if he doesn't, we will not bow. I will not turn my back on the Lord. I will not curse God and die. I will not go into a backslidden condition because what I prayed for didn't happen. He stepped in to the flames. He tipped David off the night that Saul had put a contract on his life and he sent, hired, he sent assassins to kill David with the sword and David's wife, 
a, Saul, a King Saul's daughter said, you, husband, you better not stay here tonight. That was God tipping David off. And I want you to know that, that, that in that situation, David, who was a man of faith, God delivered him instantly, immediately out of his circumstance. And he will do that sometimes. He turned weakness into strength for King Jehoshaphat. When you get a chance in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when the Lord said through the prophet, don't worry about the enemy. The battle is the Lord's. For tomorrow, about this time, this same enemy that's terrifying you, I'm going to give you victory. Now, here's how God turned weakness into strength. God told uh, 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 Jehoshaphat, the king, here, we, we're going to fight in a very unconventional way. What I want you to do is get the, I want you to get the, I want you to get the, the choir. <laughs> and I want the choir to lead the army. And in front of the choir, I want some praise dancers. And, and as they are approaching the enemy, I want them to start playing the instruments and singing. And the praise dancers to start praising. And what's going to happen, God didn't tell uh, Jehoshaphat what was going to happen. He simply said, here's my word, obey it. Jehoshaphat, by faith, obeyed the word of God. And so in that sense, his weakness turned to strength. And as he walked in obedience with the God, God, the praising confused the enemy. And so instead of attacking the, the tribe of Judah, they turned their weapons on each other. They ambushed each other. God performed the miracle. I want you to know that your praise will confuse the enemy. When you're going through this difficult time, you're sick and tired of coronavirus, you don't know if you should take uh, the vaccine or not, and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, what you may need to do is just to stop right now and give him some praise. God has kept you. God has continued to put a roof over your head. God has continued to feed you. God has given you a, a, a good mind, clothed you. You ought to take a minute just to say thank you. You can't do it if you don't believe that he has blessed you, but God will use your praise to confound your enemies. Somebody ought to say amen. He raised children from the dead. When the prophet Elijah heard that the woman, the Shunammite woman's son had died, he immediately went to her house and by faith he stretched his body over the young man and God put life back into that dead body. That was a miracle that responded to the, to the request of Elijah the prophet, and it happened immediately. Aren't you glad when you have those, those immediate responses to your prayers by God? Aren't you glad when God doesn't make you wait? But I want you to understand, faith that takes a licking but keeps on ticking does not always receive immediate miraculous responses that we can see with the natural eye. There always will be a response. You always are going to come out on the side that wins because we can't lose because who's on our side? But if you look at what is going on through the natural, that's why I said we look not at the things that are seen, for the things that we see are perishing, but that which is invisible, the substance of things that are hoped for, that, are, that is invisible, that, that with the Spirit's eye, by faith, we can see that even though it looks bad on this side, that it's not over. Let's stay with me. I'm, I'm running ahead of myself. So God doesn't always, whatever you've been praying for, whatever you've been serving the Lord by faith, waiting for, and it hasn't happened, let me just share some examples of when that occurred to those who the author makes reference to. 
There was, he, he speaks of, we talked about the lions and we talked about David being spared from the sword. But listen at this. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even greater resurrection. Some face jeers or being laughed at and flogged. That was beaten by, by whips and chains. And some were bound and placed in prison. Some were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin. They didn't have proper clothing and goatskin. Some, you know, wearing, basically only, only, only having the clothes that were on their back. They were destitute. They were broke. They were jobless, persecuted and mistreated. They, had, they were homeless. We said, we can get a lot bad work. It ain't never been this bad. It's been this bad. It just hasn't been this bad for us. And these are people that believe God. These are people who refuse to be released from their potential sentence of death because to do so would mean to deny Christ. I can hear you saying, like I might have said, well, I'll deny him to get free, and then I'll, let Je I'll just ask Jesus to forgive me. But they refuse to compromise. The Bible says the world is not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the, in the ground. Now, the question is, why doesn't God respond immediately when we are living, in, living by faith in a life or death situation? Why doesn't God deliver us from our enemies when you're living for him? Why did your best friend who'd been, who'd been sleeping in everybody's bed get married to a godly man, and you're still praying and waiting. Why does God delay in his answers when you go to the bedside of your loved one and they're on that ventilator and you, you just want to see them for Christmas? You just, you just don't want them to go and you, and you pray and as you're praying, instead of God healing them or delivering them, you hear them take their last breath as you stand by that bedside, if you can even get into the room. So many people are dying alone because they're not being allowed to even come into the hospital room when their loved ones have COVID. Now, let me suggest to you four reasons that I believe that are implied or implicit in the, in the text before us. One of the reasons why God does not immediately intervene with the miraculous with a, with a, a, a miraculous res, uh, uh, a result or, or, or answer to our, our prayer is, first of all, God has an eternal answer for our temporary problem. The scripture says they were looking forward to a better resurrection. They were looking past their suffering to something that was greater. They were looking past their suffering by faith to an eternal solution for their temporary problem. Your temporary problem can be the worst situations and circumstances of human existence. By definition, it, it can't get any worse than having somebody saw a loved one in half. It can't get much worse watching a person's body ravaged with Corona-19. But they were able to understand that 
The worst that can happen with us, that the Bible says, don't fear men who can kill your body, but rather fear God who's able to destroy both body and soul and hell. They understood that whatever you are going through right now is temporary, but God delays his intervention because sometimes his answer is eternal. Let me, let me, they, they saw a better resurrection. Now we, I, I remember in, in John chapter 11, Mary said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even and, and throughout the scripture, you see examples of people being resurrected from the dead. But the scripture said there's a better resurrection than all of the ones that are recorded. But the most profound and substantial resurrection, other than the resurrection of Jesus, is the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Mary said, Jesus, if you've been here, now that you're here, you're talking about going to the cemetery. And, bro, love you, Lord. Uh, I know he's going to be resurrected in the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection of the life. Let's go to the cemetery. She said, okay, we'll go, Lord. And she just kind of reluctantly going to the cemetery. Now he said, move the stone. And he said, oh, come on, Jesus. By now. We put, some, we, put some, we put some anointing oil on him and, and, and some fragrances on him. But by now, in the fourth day, what made it a great miracle is that Jewish tradition taught that the soul of a person lingered around their body for at least three days. But Jesus waited to the fourth day. And so he called forth Lazarus back from the dead, and Lazarus got up, and everybody celebrated. But I want you to know that there is a greater resurrection. You see, Lazarus and everyone else in the, in the Bible that had been resurrected up until his resurrection had to die again. But the resurrection of Jesus, who's the first fruit, the prototype of the resurrection that is to come, he who has died and rose from the dead, he lives never to die again. And so the greater resurrection is a resurrection when we die and the Lord, the Bible says, the trumpet of the Lord will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and this corruptible body of flesh shall put on incorruption and this Nobody that, that, that has died shall put on immortality. There's a greater resurrection that they were looking to. Yeah, I, the Lord can save me from the guillotine. The Lord can save me from the mouth of lions. But even if he does, I'm going to still die. But when I go before him and I'm changed from this terrestrial body to a celestial body, that's a greater resurrection. I want you to know that when Stephen was being stoned, and he kept saying, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. How in the world could you be praying for people who you have, who you have simply shared the word with and you're trying to lead them to Jesus? You're trying to lead them out of darkness and you, you're getting hit with stones that are actually taking your body and you don't hear anything about him crying or, or pleading. He's saying, forgive them. And as he is looking into heaven, the Bible says that Stephen saw Jesus who was seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He stood up. He stood up. I can't imagine. I don't know exactly what Jesus would say, but I, I can't help but think that he might have been saying, "Is a better resurrection. There's a better resurrection. Come on home, son. Come on home, son. Come on home, son. God has an eternal solution for your temporal problem. So don't get distracted by Walking by sight, look by faith, and get God's perspective on your situation. Stay with me. Here's the second reason. 
God wants to take you to a better place because you're too good for the place where you are. The Bible says that those who were killed and tortured and robbed of their jobs, separated from their family, said they were too good for this world. They were too good for this world. They were too good for this world. Enoch went out for a walk in Genesis chapter 5. And the Bible says he walked with God. He was so intimate with God. He walked side by side with God. And the Bible said during those days, it was, there was evil all over the earth. And Enoch was the only one who was walking in righteousness. And God said to Enoch, you are too good for this world. Don't go back to that dirty house. I know it may be a mansion. I know you may have paid four or $500,000 for it. I know your friends and family may be impressed with it. But I got a better home. Jesus talked about that home. He said, I go to prepare a place for you in my father. Oh, you're too good. But Christians, you need to understand that this world is not our home. And if you're living by faith in Christ, you're too good for this place because you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And in Christ, we are royalty. We're too good. So God will not answer our prayers immediately because he wants to give us an upgrade. <laughs> he wants to give us an upgrade. I remember uh, driving to Canada uh, with my family. And it was in December. It cold. We got into Niagara Falls, Canada late. And the only hotel that was open that we knew of was Days Inn. We got there. We, we unpacked. And the heat wasn't working. You don't want to be in Niagara Falls in any place when the heat's not working. So I called the manager and I said, listen, I'm not going to pay to have my family sleep in a hotel, that hotel room that's un, unheated. And I was waiting for the pushback. She said, no problem, Mr. Benson. You're too good for that, and we would never do that to your family. And so she said, look, we're going to upgrade you. <laughs> so I went from a two-star hotel days in to a five-star hotel, the Marriott Inn, that was just built. And the view that we had, we could, we could see the entire Niagara Falls River. We had a beautiful uh, carpet rug in front of a, a fireplace, multiple, oh, God, we got upgraded. Now, I, I, I was upset uh, uh, that we had to be in a cold room, but I want you to know that sometimes in the testing of your faith, when God is delaying his answer, what he's actually saying, you're too good for the circumstance, uh, but I'm just making the Reservations are made. Let me get the room right so I can upgrade you. God wants to upgrade you. Sometimes he wants to upgrade the way we think, the way we live, the way we talk. He wants to teach us, really, that it is true that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. God also, here's the third thing. God wants to use your response to the testing of your faith to attract others to him. I want you to know when you're in the lion's den experiences of life, it's, anybody can talk about how good God is and how I love Jesus when you're healthy, when you're working, when you have money in your account. But when you're in the lion's den, when, when, when the answer isn't coming, when you don't see your way out, when it looks dark and you, yeah, you quote a weeping man go for a night, but the night is long and, and joy is coming. When's the joy? You don't see the joy. When we continue to live by faith, the kind of faith that endures, that perseveres, people will see Christ in us 
And the Bible tells us, and they will ask us the reason of the whole, why are you still smiling? Why do you still have peace? Why do you still trust God? Why haven't you cursed God and died? Because then you can give them a reason of the hope that's within you. So God will delay the answer while we're being tested, living in faith, so that we can demonstrate that we love God for something more than what he does for us. Here's a fourth thing. God wants you to know that faith that waits is never disappointed. Faith that waits is never disappointed. God, will, God is always going to keep his word. God elevated these believers to an upgrade. God, Paul said, I prayed three times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, Please now, Lord, that you would remove this thorn from the flesh, that you allowed the devil to afflict me with. I believe it was an illness. And, and, and God, every time he prayed, God said, No. No, this is the great apostle Paul who had the gift of healing. God didn't heal him. This is the great apostle Paul who had the gift of faith, but God did not remove that mountain. God used that mountain, Paul says, to say, My grace is sufficient. My grace is adequate. My strength is perfected, not in spite of your weakness, but because you are weak. When you yield to me, the strength of Christ is perfected. The strength of Christ is in maximum display. God wants us to know that faith that is delayed, God wants us to know that faith that waits will never be disappointed. He will perfect his strength in our weakness. He's adequate in our weakness. Somebody say amen. Here's the final thing. We're almost done. We're almost done. Stay with me. Faith that takes a licking but keeps on ticking understands that the promises of God are always true, even when they're not for us. Verses 39 through 40 says, these were all the, they were all commended. God was impressed, impressed and pleased with them for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I want you to know that they believe the promise. I believe that that promise was made way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that Messiah was going to come. In the Old Testament, the Messiah was concealed. Christ was, they, they learned that the, the Christ would be born of a virgin and that he would be the son of God. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. But the son was not born. But in Matthew chapter 1, the Bible said, or in Galatians chapter 3, it said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And so what the Old Testament saints were waiting for, that, prom that part of promise was never realized. And they, 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 so they died while being tortured in many instances without that promise being fulfilled. And so in the New Testament, a part of the promise was fulfilled. Jesus actually came and he lived and he died. He lived a sinless, perfect life and he saved us. But yet the promise is still not fulfilled because he says that what they were waiting for, they didn't experience. The promise was real, but it wasn't for them to experience. And the promise was real for us. And, it, and we have experienced some of it. But the totality of the promise is yet unfulfilled. And it won't be totally fulfilled until we are all old and New Testament saints are together in heaven when Christ will come 
come back as the king of kings and lord of lords and do war and set peace upon the earth. The third part of the promise is not that the son is going to come, Old Testament. New Testament, the son has come, but the, 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 the book of Revelation, the prophet, prophetic part of the promise is he's going to reign. <laughs> That part of the promise has not occurred, and it can't be fulfilled until Jesus has ultimately come back to the earth. And there's, so there's still something yet that we are waiting for that, the, that we have not received. The promise is true, but the promise is not always true for us in our lifetime. Sometimes what God is allowing you to go through, he promised you something, but it's really not for you. It's for your children. The promise that he is making for you may be for the third or fourth generation. God is allowing you to go through what you're going through the promises in his word maybe like he said David I want my I want someone to I want my house to be built and so David was excited that he was going to be able to build the temple for God and then when David got the money together and he was ready to build God said I don't want you to do it there was a promise that God would have a house there was a desire that God wanted a house but then God said not you David I want you to know that sometimes God has a promise and the issue is are we willing to trust him even if the promise isn't for us? Even if I never get married, if I never get that job, if I never go back to school, if I never get out of debt, if I never get my children back the way I, oh, I'm going to pray. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. But if he chooses to delay, if he chooses to, Jesus remain, say, I'm so jealous of our relationship that I'm going to be your husband. I'm going to be your wife. So if Jesus decides that that promise is not for you, but it's still a promise, are you willing to have the kind of faith that will take a licking but keep on ticking? Faith that takes a licking that keeps on ticking understands that the promises of God are always true, but they're not always for you. Understands that God doesn't always answer our prayers, even though we're operating in faith immediately, miraculously, and that God uses we people. Now, as I close this series, I've been blessed by the whole series. I ask that I would encourage you to go back and listen to the entire series on framing your focus by faith. It's available on our, on our podcast and on our, on our other uh, media platforms. But one of the, one of the most, uh, my most favorite uh, sci-fi um, movies is The Terminator, the first one. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the uh, cyborg who is disguised as a human being. And he comes from another time in history. He comes from, nine, he comes from 2029. And that seemed like a long time ago in 1984. And so he, he comes from uh, 2029 and is sent to the year 1984 to kill a woman named Sarah Connor. And the reason he comes to kill her as an assassin is because the child that she is going to bear is going to be the one that will defeat the cyborgs in 2029. And so you we get a chance, you watch it, it's just, it's just really incredible. And, and they try to do everything that he can to kill Sarah Connors and unsuccessful. And now it seems like Sarah Connors and her uh, support person is finally going to get rid of the cyborg and kill Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, and, and as a cyborg, what was amazing is no matter how they tried to kill him, he just refused to die. One leg is blown off. And now he's, he's walking on one, on one leg and 
Then uh, uh, all of the skin gets burned off, and he's missing an eye. <laughs> this is gruesome. He's missing an eye, and, and, and then uh, an arm and a hand gets blown off, and, and now all you see is a torso, neck, and face, and yet he's still reaching and trying. And he's going to kill Sarah Connors no matter what. And the question is, why is he still able to, 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 to pursue? What is it that's pushing him? Why won't he quit? Why don't this thing die? They didn't realize that there was a chip in his brain. And the chip had been programmed to accomplish one thing, and that was to assassinate Sarah Con uh, uh, Connors. Now, when the chip was removed, the cyborg died. <laughs> the purpose was, was, was incomplete. The, the, the mission was aborted. I want you to know that we're not cyborgs as Christians, but we have a chip called faith. And that chip is activated when we obey the word of God. And as long as we are operating in response to obedience to the Lord, it don't matter if I got two legs or one leg or one eye or two eyes. doesn't matter if they're going to saw me in half or take my job. If the chip is operating, if the chip is in control, if my eyes are looking at the author and the finisher of my faith, I can keep on serving. I can keep on reaching my destiny. I will fulfill my purpose. Just don't let the chip be disactivated. Don't take your eyes off of the often finish of your faith. Don't get discouraged by coronavirus. Don't get discouraged by your job situation. Don't all keep the chip operating. How you going to keep the chip? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You need to stay in this word. Saturate your mind in the word of God and God's word will enable you to take a licking but keep on ticking. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you that our faith is not based on hocus pocus. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes you choose not to heal us, but to make us whole. Sometimes, God, you choose to bring us home because this world is not good enough for us. There's a better place called heaven. God, may we grow in our faith in such a way that we understand that there is a better resurrection. There is something greater than what is temporal. May we come to understand that you have eternal solutions for our temporal problems. God, may we learn to frame our focus, what we look at by faith in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.